You're listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio. So hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of Changing Reality. So welcome one, welcome all. If this is your first time tuning in, where have you been all your life? This is the place to be. If you're a returning audience, welcome back to the show. We love having you here always as every as we do every week. So if you're new, Changing Reality is a show that features phenomenal people from all walks of life who are in essence changing their own reality. And we'll be hanging out and interviewing these brilliant people from social change makers, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, business owners, to even artists, musicians, and inspiring individuals from all, across the, from all across the world with the hopes of uncovering their stories, their little secrets and tips and tricks that we can use to not only chart our own courses, but to learn the lessons that we need to change our own reality in turn. And I wanted to do this show simply because I believe that there are a lot of people out there who do phenomenal things and make waves in the lives of those around them. And I'm super passionate about uncovering those stories and learning how they're doing that so that we can replicate them in our own lives. And the power of stories has been something that has personally helped me so much, has helped all the people around me. And to show you how much I believe in it, I actually personally founded and run a youth movement from the power of stories called Ascendance. And Ascendance started off in Malaysia, which is where I'm from, but today collaborates with not just our Malaysian Ministry of Education, but over 28 countries to help provide an alternative education platform for any student who wants to change their reality. So we work with students from elementary all the way up to college through various sessions, uh, experiential learning programs, activities, projects that help them discover what they love doing, go out there and get meaningful experiences, real world experiences, and come back and actually start their own careers that creates impact not just for themselves, but for those around them too. And as I said, we've been very fortunate to work with over 35,000 students, 970 over communities, and have incubated countless number of student-run projects and social enterprises run by students as young as 8 to 25 years old. And the foundation of all of that has been stories, has been kind individuals who've been willing to share their stories, share their experiences with others who maybe would never have gotten the chance to hear to experience these things so that it can shorten their learning curves as well. And just like that, I hope that this show is that same platform for you so that all of you listening in today can take the lessons that our speakers are here to talk about and implement them in your own lives. So if there's anything that you want to talk about specifically, whether it's a particular career, a particular skill, or whether it's just something that you are passionate about learning about more, let us know. And we'll do our best to feature it somewhere or another on this show and bring to you the things that you need to change your own reality. So on to today's episode. Today we have someone truly, truly phenomenal. Our speaker today is the Director of Community and Partnerships at Planet Mark. Planet Mark being a sustainable certification which uh, proactively supports hundreds of organizations and real estate developments committed to making uh, progress towards net zero carbon. A huge issue in 2022 today when everyone knows how serious the climate change is getting. And they have a proven track record for success. Some of their members, they've even reduced their absolute carbon emission by 12% back in 2019 prior to COVID and almost up to 24, uh, 25%, I think the exact number is 24.5% in 2020 during COVID in a sense. And our speaker started at Planet Mark leading all things in their digital community and engagement and partnership sections. But today, uh, moved on to his uh, to leading their head of engagement and digital, while allowing uh, many other efforts that he has actually spearheaded grow in turn. So other than being phenomenal at his career, he does so many other great things or has created so much impact in his community. He's the chair of the National uh, Sustainability Task Force at the Institute of Directors, a thriving member community for directors in and out of the UK, as well as was a TEDx speaker, uh, sharing a little bit on the art of meaningful networking, a very, very useful and heartwarming talk that you guys should check out after this. And he's also someone who's pioneered brilliant projects uh, from post virtual and physical workshops on innovation to even collaborating with phenomenal individuals such as Disney's former head of innovation and creativity, uh, Duncan Wardle, to actually, with his team, host over 250 virtual workshops and webinars on innovation. And 
that is just kind of some of the more recent things that he's done. Prior to that, he even helped build out LinkedIn local um, through his role as the chief community enthusiast at Local X. Uh, that work impacted over 90 countries, 950 towns and cities. And I think there were over 2,000 hosts around the world in less than two years. And in 2019, when they concluded this project, they actually handed the community over to LinkedIn and actually secured their permission to use their branding and actually dedicate um, and actually formalize that in a sense. So someone who has had so much brilliant, brilliant impact on the community, who has given back so much to all of us out there and many who probably benefit from the work that he does. So today, without further ado, let's welcome our phenomenal speaker, Andrew, onto our virtual stage. Hi, Harsha. Pleasure to be here. Well, thank you so much for joining. I think I need a cup of uh, tea after your... Uh, <laughs> that, was a very, that was a very robust introduction, I must say. I'm um, a little stressed out now, so honestly, <laughs> I could have done less things to make my job a little easier, you know, in the introduction. Like, why should I make so much impact and, and make the rest of us feel terrible? But thank you for being on the show. And... Yep. I, one of the things that I really like about you and, and the things that I've read up about you is that you have done so many different things in kind of the same thread of creating a change in the community, which I think is brilliant. I think it's something that all of us Gen Zs, in a sense, want to do. I think all of us innately have this need to give back, this need to kind of make the world a better place. But we don't always know how best to apply that or how best to do that, in a sense. For you, when did you first realize that you wanted to make a change in the community or that giving back or, or building the community in turn was something important to you? Um, I, I mean, I've, I've always been sort of a sociable character. I'm, I'm someone who, who I, you know, I'm an extrovert. I get my energy from being around other people. Um, and so I think I've always sort of naturally leaned into those sorts of things. And I think you know the 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 word you used around there being sort of you know common thread and there being a thread is is a is a good sort of metaphor for it where you know in my career path and in the things that I've gotten involved in it it's it is kind of like finding a thread and then just keep on pulling on it <laughs> and and because you know I if you'd asked me even 5 years ago would I what would I have thought I'd be doing now not only would I've been wrong I'd have probably undershot. I'd have probably said something less, you know, if I if I'd told you what my ideal job was five years ago, I probably wouldn't have said something that's as good as I'm doing now. <laughs> I was dreaming too low. And so I think the, you know, the, 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 the journey that you sort of head on is, you know, I did a lot of exploring. I tried lots of different, you know, roles and things. I was, I, I studied uh, psychology at my undergraduate, um, as my undergraduate degree. And, I, you know, explored, should I become a clinical psychologist? Should I go into research and do neuroscience? And I've always, I've still got these fascinations, but I, I, I kept on pulling on threads and I'd, I'd sort of sense out something and say, oh, do I want to be a lab researcher? No, it's, it's too isolating. It's too much alone time. I want to be around people. Okay. So not lab research. What about doing clinical psychologist? Mm, that could be a good path, but you are going to still be studying until you're in your early 30s uh, getting a clinical doctor and everything actually and gradually bit by bit by bit by finding things i didn't enjoy or didn't quite fit right i kept pulling that thread pulling that thread and gradually it sort of led led me in the right direction and then it's one of these things that sort of builds on you so you just keep exploring expose yourself to as many different opportunities as you can connect with people who who interest you and who you know exactly like you're doing Harsha it's a good it's a very smart way of, of you know hearing different stories and different journeys because each one is unique and yours will be unique um, but you you find something that feels right and then start pulling on it and sometimes you'll come off path and sort of keep that sense of am I on the right track or not and you'll get that sense as to oh something's not quite right I'm not in the right place right now for where I want to be and you sort of explore that, okay, well, which which direction is my instinct taking me in? So pull that thread. No, very, very well said. And I think someone once told me, finding your passion is essentially being blindfolded in a dark room. And, and you, you there's a light somewhere, it's just that you're not sure where it is in a sense. And you're essentially bumping around things until you find it. And I, I like that, that analogy of kind of pulling 
thread until you find it. Because I feel like sometimes when we, especially when we're in school, we always have this this romantic ideal of finding your passion, where it's essentially love at first sight. You get struck by lightning. Oh gosh, this is the thing I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And I think that that puts a, puts a lot of pressure on us to kind of figure yeah. out, have everything figured out. Where in reality, I I, I think most people do not have everything figured out or, or aren't exactly sure what they want to do forever and ever, but have a sense. I'm still not. Let's be clear. I don't think, and, and I think anyone, anyone who has that level of certainty, I've often seen it backfire where they've some, they've achieved what they wanted to achieve and they go, well, shit, what now? They, they people, it does often really doesn't go well. If people have that level of, no, this is definitely, you know, I've had friends who are like, the whole way through school, I want to be a PE teacher. I want to be a PE teacher. I want to be a PE teacher. They went to like a month of like university to go and become a PE teacher and hated it. Um, and and it's it's I think it's really dangerous. Well, per personally, I I you know the there's a I can't remember who I think it might have been uh, I think it was a US president actually I think it might have been um, Gerald Ford or someone. Um, but basically said the. Um, uh, when, and it's used within the context of, of battles and war. And it's sort of like having a plan is useless. Um, when you get into battle, a plan is useless, but the act of planning is invaluable. And so I think going through the journey of, of yeah, have plans, have intentions, but focus on something where you're not necessarily determining the outcome. I tend to look at five years ahead and I'm like, what sort of life do I want to be leaving? Uh, leading what do i where where do i want to be what sort of environment do i want to be in what sort of career do i want to have what's what do i want that to feel like um i don't tend to put specifics on it around saying oh i want to be uh in this job title earning this amount of money doing this um thing it, it's something much more about what life do i want to have what balance in my life do i want to have and focus on that and then you know, in your short-term planning, look at, okay, well, what is going to move me in that direction? Am I getting closer or am I getting further? It's a very straightforward question. In every action you take in your day, if you've set certain goals and objectives for yourself in terms of this is what I would like to be doing in terms of the impact I'd like to have on society, the role I'd like to play, the, the, the part I want to play in this, in everything that you do, is this taking me closer or is it taking me further? And it will be one of the two, you know, and even every like little tiny decision where right? it's like, oh, I kind of want to, you know, on a binge watch a TV series. Is that taking me closer? Or is that taking me further? Now, it's not saying don't binge watch TV series. I'm just as guilty of it as anyone else. Sometimes that's actually necessary. And sometimes it does actually take you closer because you need to decompress. <laughs> and if you don't decompress, then, you know, you'll mess with yourself. But um, yeah, it, it's get a sense as to the the overall direction trajectory that you want to move in and then assess your your more immediate decisions on does this take me in the right direction or not and if it's taking you in the right general direction brilliant you know there's no need to close down doors or 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 be more specific as long as it's moving you in the right right place and you obviously have a very enlightened perspective of this i'm very curious to I don't know about that hitting walls and, and going through it to actually come up and say, this is how it, like, this is my experience in it. You, you, you've gone through some stuff, I see. But tell me a little bit about how you got there in a way. I know that you were one of the, the brilliant people who took a gap year after, I think, finishing secondary school before even college. Yeah. You were a fruit picker. I think that that is super cool. I come from a place where gap years are occasionally criminal. I had a friend whose parents sent her to college right after high school because she, they were worried she'd forget how to write. If she <laughs> so you can see that, that I'm very intrigued by this. Tell me about the decision to do that and then how and how your life was like at that point and then what you were looking at. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things. Again, it was one there's something that emerged. Like, there are a number of thresh sort of moments in my life where decisions were made actually in quite a short period of time um, and very instinctively where there's just I had the op op option where I could defer my university place for a year and um candidly you know at that time so the context was i hadn't gotten into the university i wanted to get into right i, di I didn't get it i didn't get in i wanted to go to york and i didn't i didn't get that and 
you know, that was that was tough. And it was interesting because like when you when I reflect back, I think my path would have been very different if I had. Because because I'd have been so excited about going that I might not have taken a gap year. But I took the gap year because I had the opportunity to very, very straightforward in that, you know, I was planning on going out to New Zealand for a holiday with family. And the idea emerged was like, well, why not why not just stay? <laughs> yeah rather than go for like two three weeks why don't i just stay i could defer for a year and i could go traveling i could i could do that um and so yeah and so i made that decision and it was a very gut kind of thing and i could have changed my mind on it till very last minute you know i could have gone oh no i do want to come in this year to to plymouth university and and it would have been fine so I, it was a quite a snap kind of gut decision um, but it's one of the best decisions I've ever made because I think I, taking a gap year, if I, if I got anything from it, it was really a understanding the value of education. When you get out and you're not in it, you're too close to it for so long in our lives. Understanding the value of it and knowing when I get back into going to university, I really want to take this seriously now because I see how this can carry out. And, you know, I suddenly learned the value of languages. <laughs> I learned the value of you know, all these things where I hadn't really taken them particularly seriously before, but now I say, like, oh, okay, if if I could talk French, Italian, German, and stuff, man, that would be really handy in being able to make really good friends with a bunch of people I would have met when traveling. We still made friendships, but especially from, you know, people don't expect Brits or Americans to know how to speak other languages. So it's a very, you know, they set a very low bar for us. They sort of, uh, there's, there's often there's an assumption that this white middle-class male probably doesn't speak any other languages and if you do then that's seen very well so i think i learned a lot of the value of education and when i went you know which then and then i, I caught the travel bug so then i wanted to do an exchange year and i did an exchange year to canada um as, as the second year of my degree and that got me involved in a whole bunch of stuff where i started being able to do stuff in neuroscience labs and things like that and all of a sudden my cv even at that stage, stood out from the majority of students because I'd, I'd done this gap year, but that had taken me to do this exchange year um, where I'd been doing neuroscience studies and various things. And it led to me getting a, an amazing placement opportunity. I did a placement year as well at um, the National Hospital of Neurology and Neurosurgery in London. And I didn't even apply there. There wasn't. They were just like, you're so amazing. Come work here. No, 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 no. It's far more random than that. It's not. So th this is kind of the beauty of it was. So I emailed a bunch of people at, uh, of professors at the University of College London, uh, where all of the neuro. I wanted to try my hand at doing neurological research because I was fast. I still am fascinated by it. So I wanted to try that. And so I was emailing all of these neuroscientists and all these neurology professors to say, hey, could I come and be like an exchange research student for you? I, I even emailed like every neuroscientist at Harvard. Like I emailed, I, I sent, I cast a very, very wide net. I sent emails all left, right, center with my CV and just say, hey, I'd be really interested. Blah, blah. Barely any responses, mostly no's. Um, and then one of the people I emailed was a, a consultant neurologist called Diane Playford, who she didn't even respond to my email. <laughs> all that she did was with unbeknownst to me she forwarded my email on to the lead clinical psychologist at the national hospital of neurology and neurosurgery where she, she was a professor at ucl but she was also a consultant there so she forwards this on my email on with the the only word saying this one looks interesting that was it Hi, and yeah. yeah and the beauty of it was that they were at a stage where they were considering having a, they'd never had an undergraduate placement student before but they were reaching the point where they were kind of thinking about it but they hadn't started looking so i didn't have any competition <laughs> this is very serendipitous for you and them it was like oh gosh we we send the thought out now he's here we, we kind of have to take him we asked the university the university live it well, it was certainly serendipitous for me. I can't speak for them, but it was it worked out very, very well for me because I had no competition to get it. Because this is a University College London hospital. I was at Plymouth University. You'd have thought they'd have been going for a University College London student. Yeah, you'd think they'd go to the university, but yeah. But they weren't doing a recruitment. They weren't recruiting for, for a role. It just sort of emerged. And so there was a lot of uncertainty for a long time where they were like, umming and ahhing, are we, aren't we, are we, aren't we, are we, aren't we? And they ended up, you know, going with it. Um, 
but it's it's the set the, you know there's a there's a thing about luck right like that's lucky it is it's lucky but what people when people often use the word luck they sort of they're using it in place of chance and i think chance is absolutely a thing there's a huge amount of chance that has gone on there and has gone on and various different things that have happened in my life but the luck is an active process and often the people who get seen as lucky i imagine harsha you you are probably someone who has had various things for you as well happen where friends family and people oh you're so lucky that that situation has happened or that you managed to get that place or you managed to get that part-time job or you managed to set up that initiative oh you're so lucky with all the things that you're doing and it's an active process if you're putting yourself out there you, you know in order to, in order to have a lucky situation you first got to actually be out there to be found if you're sitting at home it's not knocking on the door it's not then once you're out there to be found you've actually got to be looking you've got to have your head on a swivel because most people or you know a, a large number of people miss opportunities every day in conversations in you know you know there's been some really fascinating studies on it where sort of this superstition thing of people think they're unlucky most of the time you can throw opportunities at them and they just don't see them you can put you know a hundred dollar bill on the sidewalk in front of them and they'll walk straight over it you can put their phone number on a, a phone number and their name on the side of a bus saying you know harsha call this number and we'll give you a thousand dollars and they just won't see it <laughs> because they're not looking they're not open to to what's going on in the world around them so you've got to be open to to, to opportunity you've got to be looking for it and then once you see it you've actually got to seize it which which sounds like not a big thing but it is you, it's often with some of these things it takes courage to sort of kind of go you know what i want that i'm gonna yeah I'm, i've seen there's a there's something here, whether that be in a conversation, if you're a student who's looking for a job opportunity, you might feel bad about, I don't, I don't want to want to ask you for this. Or, you know, it feels awkward. Whereas actually, if you, if you just come out and said it, you might have been pleasantly surprised. Um, you've got to seize, seize those opportunities when you see them. So it's an active process. And those, those who are often seen as most lucky, there tends to be a, a bit of a method to the madness. Um, and, it's, and it's cumulative. Because the more little yeah. bits and things that have happened over time, it it adds up. You know, I, I put a huge number amount of time, you know, days upon days upon days of, of freely doing organizing events, organizing talks, organizing all sorts of different things for free, just volunteering, doing stuff, exactly as you're you know, you're doing now, Harsha. Um and when you when you start getting into the thing where it just becomes this cascade of opportunities that just start coming out people sort of forget that you did have to do all of that groundwork before before all of that started happening they go well how do i do that well go and organize events for free for five years no no, no i definitely agree with that i definitely agree with that sentiment i think number one like my mentor used to say luck is opportunity meets preparation so yes there's lots of opportunities out there but you've got to be ready for it yeah. The second thing that you'd always say is that there's no wasted effort and that if you give to like, like, like whatever you can do for someone, if you give first, naturally it will come back in some way or another. And I remember for, for many, many years, like, like I, like I've run in my, my social enterprise for seven years now. And in the beginning, it was just really doing things for free, going out there, help, helping wherever we can, uh, driving until we, we ran out of money for petrol in a sense and, and doing all of this work. But there was really the foundations to today what we're doing seven years later when we have an international organization. And I think many people see the end product and they're like, I want to be there. But they mm. forget all of the times which you're called crazy and all of the times that you've done amazing things that, that looks like they're not going anywhere in a sense. And, and you have many projects that, that you have given so much to the community. I think we were just talking earlier about one project that actually brought you to the uh, to parliament, actually, I think, to, mm. to the government in a sense and and that was the accumulation i think of many efforts tell me about that in a sense yeah so i um that was so i first started sort of really getting involved in networking when i was doing some postgrad studies on on management and i i happened to get involved with the institute of directors um and it was, it was the amount of serendipity that sort of feeds into that 
and the cascade that that created is is kind of hard to fathom and the thing is when you think of it like a tree there are lots of branches and most of them don't lead anywhere but the ones that do Okay. can be really magical like that that that's sort of the, one conversation leads to that conversation that conversation that conversation and when you map back from you know when you know being at the houses of parliament or doing a tedx talk when i map back every conversation every person i had to meet every situation i had to find myself in in order for that to have happened mm-hmm. there are a remarkable number of ways that it might never have done and in fact i was able to with the tedx talk i was able to trace back and I worked out that there were lots of points of failure, but there was all these like parallel strands that were sort of traveling out, traveling out, and then combined and, and converged to this opportunity to do a TEDx talk. And when I mapped it all the way back, I, I realized that there was a single point of failure for all of the different strands, which was a conversation with a student <laughs> at a London South Bank University networking event where if I hadn't taken that conversation seriously with a student, then none of the rest of it would have happened. And it would be very easy to do. I, you know, I was, I was working at the time I was doing postgrad studies, be very easy to sort of discount any value that I could get from talking with undergraduate students and other people at the university. But I was curious and I I enjoy meeting people. And I, 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 I was starting to get into this idea of all, you know, it's not about what you know, it's who you know. And if you don't, if you aren't born with a family or school network that brings those kinds of opportunities to you, you've kind of got to build your own. Um, and uh, yeah, one conversation there fundamentally changed my life. I realized in, in retrospect, and I've since told Fabian, the guy, I'm still in touch with him. Um, but that conversation, really a simple conversation, wasn't anything intense. It's just that he introduced me to someone from something that I had no awareness of. And if he hadn't done that, none of the rest of it would have happened. Um, and so I think you, you've, the House of Parliament thing was an Institute of Directors event. So this was after I, I got involved with the Institute of Directors in the Young Directors Forum. And I was just giving my time to help organize events, help organize things for entrepreneurs, for direct young directors. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we organized lots of events. We organized pitching competitions and all sorts of things, but it was the 10th anniversary of the um, Young Directors Forum. And so we decided that we'd, we'd go big and we, uh, we, we organized an event at the Houses of Parliament. And, and I, I led that project, which after a year of, you know, really throwing myself into this. And I was in my sort of first roll out of university i was working i was doing a graduate management scheme at a, a healthcare startup and it, you know i had time to be able to invest in doing other things like i wasn't super pressured left right and center i didn't have kids i don't have responsibilities so i was able to invest my free time but you know where it's the choices you make about where you invest your time and your energy and i spent a lot of time on things that i found i enjoy i consider i consider them still to be a major part of my social life i met my best friend through linkedin <laughs> you know but, but you know there's a major part of my social life but it is something which is um it creates opportunities and it, it sort of magnifies it magnifies yeah. itself I'm gonna yeah that's the, the, yeah that was from houses of parliament yeah, the, yeah. Event, the, the one at the house of parliament yeah that was a that was a good day <laughs> no, i don't know very cool and i like the way that you've explained it in a sense i think recently there's been a rise in all of these multiverse movies so so i can see kind of the context of, of, of how one decision kind of makes a difference in like it has a completely different outcome in life and all of that one thing that i just i just wish i had the full map because the things i don't know i can't think i can't because i can remember that because good stuff happened right but what i can't remember is all of the conversations which didn't go anywhere and it would be fascinating to have a genuine a genuine map of every conversation that hasn't led anywhere because i guarantee you there will be a thousand for you know probably probably for every one conversation that has really led to a fundamental like lots of things lead to little things and little opportunities and stuff but for something that's led to a massive sort of life sort of defining moment thousand to one <laughs> you know i think you were giving me a little bit of an existential crisis here you know like how many little conversations could have led to something 
that I was not aware of in a sense or that, that you just kind of miss in a sense that that's very stressful why it's sliding it's sliding doors have you done if you've seen that film that movie sliding doors where just really little changes so if I if I had one sort of superpower I'd love to have the ability to sort of go back and see what would have happened if I you know what happened if I didn't go to New Zealand what would happen oh. if I um, didn't go to Canada what would happen if, you know, those sort of those binary moments in our lives where it's going one way or another, what would have happened if I'd, I'd be fascinated to sort of relive it and just sort of see what the different trajectory would have been. Yeah, um, the movie that comes to mind for me is Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. I think that's what it's called. You like, like no, mm. they, they have that. You, you'd love it. You'd love it. If, you, if this I think is I, your power wish list, then oh, my God. Tell me also a bit about like like one of the things that I really like that you mentioned in the TEDx talk and, and and just for context of the TEDx talk I'm gonna put up the photo here and and and, and so we can all get into the potential front seat of, of your stage and and observing that in a way and for the rest of you go watch the video later. But one of the things that I really like is you say something like we don't realize that that networking is not something that. That, that it's like it's not always going to be something blaringly obvious these conversations these opportunities are not something that that somebody's going to yell at you hey here's an opportunity it's kind of embedded in the nuances of conversation and it's kind of mm. a very subtly you you've kind of got to dig them out in a sense how did you realize that in your own experiences where did you realize or, or, or what experience or situation made you realize that for yourself i mean there's a whole array of of things and it fundamentally it's about getting to finding something about the person that you find genuinely interesting because chances are if you find it genuinely interesting then you kind of are interested in exploring more about it it's uh, the thing i will say is it is a lot easier to do this when you know um the value that you can bring so these days it's much easier for me to find within the nuances of conversations opportunities because i kind of know what opportunities i'm kind of interested in and looking for so it's been made a lot easier now where, you know, I, with Planet Mark, you know, we're looking to support organizations with their carbon footprints. We want to help them reduce their carbon footprints. And so that's, you know, when I know that that's kind of one of the things I'd like to see if there's an opportunity around, it makes it a lot easier. because so I've got a clear, I've got a clear thing that I'd kind of like to find out where they're at with. And I've got a really clear solution to that problem. Mm -hmm. um if if they're experiencing it so i think uh so it is made a lot easier but outside the context of that really it's 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 paying attention it's finding you know in any conversation that you have with people people will be facing challenges whether they be personal professional whatever and in their businesses particularly if you're talking to entrepreneurs and stuff there will be challenges that they're facing and if you have skills that can help address those challenges then you'll be able to find opportunities and so you know an example of this um from you know this is the, within the first year of me starting to sort of network and bear in mind at this point i'm doing post-grad studies at, at london south bank university i'm doing a graduate management scheme i'm not in the senior kind of i don't have i'm certainly not a director <laughs> I'm, I'm, you're, I'm a, you're one of us okay back then long ago yeah <laughs> no i still am i very much still am there is no distinction but the it's the but i was i did not have the confidence i would have now that i have value to bring to a conversation or something i was much more nervous about what value can i possibly bring to these conversations and i i had a conversation with um the ceo of mercedes um Ben's big huge car manufacturer right and it was just I bumped in just was at a networking event and mm -hmm. so you don't have long to think about it you're not prepared for it it's just sort of like oh hi you know, love to meet you. yeah what do you do oh well I'm the CEO of Mercedes-Benz oh <laughs> hi you know what what can I you know mere mortal possibly say that would have value to this you know demigods of of the, the ceo of mercedes-benz there's so much more experience than me they're so much wiser than me what could i possibly say to help and um i i i, I still hadn't like this was one of the things that i reflect back on that led to me learning this thing but i i wasn't well versed in it at the time but i steered i just instinctively steered the conversation onto a topic that i was kind of familiar with and just curious about where literally the day before i'd had a marketing lecture 
about um, market uh, audience segmentation, marketing segmentation. How do you split up audiences to target them in different ways, right? And I just had a whole three-hour lecture on it the day before. I'd studied it in a textbook. I was as well versed in the academia of that particular niche subject as I could be at that point. And I sort of asked the question. I'd be really interested to learn more about how Mercedes uh, approaches approach. How do you approach your sort of customer segmentation? What do you what do you do? And when you do something like that, one of two things will happen. Either you're about to learn something because they're going to school you in the practical applications of what you just learned in class, <laughs> or you're going to have an opportunity to add value because, funnily enough, she might be the CEO of Mercedes Benz, but she doesn't have she hasn't been to university in however god knows how long she hasn't sat in a lecture about marketing segmentation in a long time might not have a marketing background at all and in reality what ended up happening was was she sort of went, oh that's actually we're having a bit of a challenge with that at the moment um we you know one of the things we're trying to work out is we're trying to figure out how to position mercedes with a with a millennial audience um I'd be really interested to hear your sort of thoughts and reflections upon that. And all of a sudden I was in a position where I could meaningfully contribute just because I'd read it in a textbook and had a lecture on it. I could meaningfully contribute. Oh, well, you know, have you thought about this? Have you done what, what surveying and what things have you done to understand what millennials want? I was able to engage in that conversation in quite, you know, a detailed way that creates this kind of halo effect where she sort of, you know, I think she came away with the impression that I knew a lot more about marketing than I actually did. <laughs> Because I just knew one thing about that niche. If, I, if she had tested me on anything else to do in marketing, I'd have sucked. Um, but I knew that. And so I was able to have a very interesting and engaging conversation with that person purely off the back of I steered it onto something that was interesting and that I knew a bit about. Um, so I think that's, the, you know, steering yourself onto familiar ground could be helpful. Or if you're going to, if you're just a curious soul, steer yourself onto deliberately unfamiliar ground and ask lots of questions if you sense that that's something that someone will, will do. But it can be harder to find opportunities when you're just off-piste um, because you'll learn lots you'll learn lots of interesting things, but finding a way that you can engage with them if it's like, you know, if I'm having a conversation with someone and they're telling me all about, I don't know, how they love BMX biking, it's going to be fascinating. I'm I'm going to enjoy the conversation, but I see now I'm going to be able to add much value to that person's BMX biking enthusiasm. <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's a good way to put it. I remember a joke someone told me when I was when I was very concerned, like, oh, should I study this in university? Should I study that in university? What would I learn? And someone said, well, at the very least, you'd learn how to make small talk on a bunch of random things, and that's the value that you'd get in a way. But 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 beyond that joke, in a sense, one of the things that I completely agree with is. If you truly do something, like if you're truly immersed in something that, that you like in a sense, and as long as you can relate that to whatever conversation you're having in some way or another, you become not not the expert, but you, come, you become a contributor in a sense. And I know things so many of us have value to bring to conversations that we don't know just by our own perspective. Like I know recently, a lot of the Gen Zs I work with, they, they, they're young, they, they are, many of them are school students, and they meet these CEOs and their company owners and all of that. And the conversation can always be steered back into what what are you guys doing to engage my generation? What are you guys doing in a sense to to bring Gen Z into the conversation? And they immediately become experts in that simply because they know that generation by virtue of being part of it. In a way. Yeah. I think there's so many ways to steer that conversation that is very that you have very brilliantly articulated. And I and I love your 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 whole I would say like like I love your whole TED talk on on meaningful networking. I thought it was very very relevant. I think the last time we spoke as well uh, during our pre-call, you mentioned uh, the story of how you you got your current position at, at Planet Mark as well, and that was also through a, a networking serendipitous moment. Tell us a little bit about that story. How did you get uh, to your current position, to where you are right now? Well, I mean, I'd, I'd sort of been in the orbit of Planet Mark for a couple of years before joining. Um, you know, I orbit of the planet. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. That worked quite well, didn't it? Uh, definitely not intentional. Um, so the, um, you know, I met uh, the CEO of Planet Mark, a chap called Steve. I met him through. I was um, operations director of a startup. And full startup, startup, you know, not making very much money at all startup. Um, we had a lot of fun. We organized big running events, walking events, cycling events and stuff. We organized like running events with like a thousand runners and stuff. It was a lot of fun. 
Um, and uh, the founder and CEO of, of it was called Your Town. We we met Steve because Planet Mark. One of the things we do is we also support on social value creation of companies. So we help them understand and measure in in pounds and pence what the social value created by their organization has been over the last year. And so where we were working on a bit of a social enterprise kind of thing, where we were getting corporates to sponsor, um, you know, running events in their local town and things like that. We were quite interested in Planet Mark for well, the Planet Mark community. Ooh, would they be interested in <laughs> helping us organize running? Yeah. A, you know? So we were having a meeting sort of looking, wait, how can we collaborate? And Steve and I just sort of got on really well. Um, and my institute of directors thing, I think, interested him. And so he and I just started keeping in touch and would, you know, every, you know, two or three times a year, we'd meet up for a coffee and I would just share thoughts and like learn more about what they were doing, what they were up to, how things were going and would share my thoughts and reflections on things that I knew something about, like digitization, uh, building communities. I just, I was just freely and openly sharing my thoughts and reflections. And so we kept some sort of, you know, having conversation and he would invite me to all of their events. And so I, I went along to their awards, for example, every year. And with the awards that we, you know, I would go along as a, as just a random person who had come to the awards and we would, um, which was, <laughs> there are team, there are photos of the planet Mark team back then with me in them. So you were just in the peripheral until it was just like, oh, I was just there. I was just a big fan. I was just a big <laughs> fan. I wasn't working at a Planet Mark member. I wasn't like, I, in no way was I related on that. I was a fan of what they were doing. And I liked, you know, I got on well with Steve and I liked the team. You know, I enjoyed it. And so much so that they actually, they actually invited me onto um, a team training session where it was only team only Planet Mark team at it, and they invited me, me along to it. I, I, just, I still don't know what was going through Steve's head, but I mean, he's sort of like, well, I, I sort of knew we wanted to work together and stuff. And I, was, I went along and had like a half a day of training on sustainability with, with their own team. And um, like, what about that guy who keeps showing up? Let's get him. On. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it was one where it was a relationship I'd invested a lot in because I, 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 I wasn't, I actually wasn't, I didn't have a particular outcome in mind. I sort of knew I, I, I want, I was moving, I wanted to move in the direction of sustainability. I had this growing realization and this, it was like an itch that I wasn't scratching to work on sustainability and really realizing that this was something I cared passionately about. And I really wanted to invest more of my time and energy into. So I was networking. I was getting an understanding of the sector and what, you know, who did what and what sort of a role would I like to play in it. And in the end, uh, you know, a little over two years ago um, in may 2020 steve dropped me a text on a sunday saying um have you have you got got time for a quick chat and i called him straight back going no time like the present what do you want <laughs> and uh and he was like well you know we've been talking about wanting to work together for a really long time and i, I think we're at the stage now where we need your skill set um would you be willing to come on board and i was like hell yeah let's do it um I, I didn't really, I literally, he was like, obviously you take time to think about it. I, like, I don't need to think about it. It's a yes, Steve. <laughs> um, and ironically, I was in this sort of weird place where I was, that I was about to, to, I was on a six month contract with Imperial College rolling out a new re, uh, research center looking at smart home technology for dementia, which is amazing. It was a lot of fun. And they just offered me a five year contract to remain with the center for a long period of time and to, 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 project manager and steer it um and i was about i'd made the decision that i was going to turn that down um even before anything else had come up i was like i won against sustainability now is the moment to do it i really want to do this and then steve texted me um so it was, it was a bit weird no i i i think it's brilliant and i and there's a few things that i personally really like that that i just wanted to kind of draw is, is number one you seem to be a person who really follows your heart and your gut in this kind of stuff in a sense it's like if the if the gut says sustainability i'm not i'm not going to get tempted by, by by the other stuff in a sense which i think takes a lot of courage and i think i'm i'm, I'm amazed and i and i personally wish that if the opportunity presents itself i i, I would be as firm and, and as 
I'd, 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 I'll say um, do, do people, other pe people who know me would see me as a massive opportunist. And so <laughs> I, I'm not always good at saying no to things. And mm -hmm. what I do, I, I've gotten a lot better, um, but that's been a learned, partially learned and partially forced where I just don't have the time that I used to. So, um, yeah, it's I would, <laughs> it's a it's a learned thing, and um, it, in terms of trusting that gut, because of the number of times where it's gone wrong, and I've sort of gone, I kind of knew that that wasn't going to work. Both in professional and personal life, you, I think over time people learn to trust their gut more because often it's got a pretty good sense of where something's going to go. Um, and, and, I, and I like how you didn't wait like for a particular role. You just found a group of people, found something that, that resonated, and you're like, I'm just going to keep hanging out here every now and then. <laughs> I was hanging out in a lot of other spaces as well, I should note. Uh, you, know, I, you know, I'd done, I was doing a course, um, uh, a remote course with Cambridge University with the Cambridge Institute of Sustainability Leadership. I had lots of networking so through that. So during that same period of time where Steve had texted me, I actually had about seven or eight different opportunities that were that suddenly presented themselves kind of out the blue um which led to me doing the collaborations with disney's head of innovation and creativity and setting up my own company to run virtual events and things like that which i was i've been doing on the side for the past two years as well so a huge and there was a whole bunch of others as well but you were i had i've got um asked to help set up a sustainability startup in healthcare around helping you know basically bringing together all of the big pharma companies to create an accord for getting them all to sign up to net zero and be more sustainable, which also would have been amazing. Um, so I have, I've had to learn to say no. <laughs> you talk a little bit about kind of the cascading effect of opportunities where at first you put a lot of energy out there, you, you go and you try as many things. And then when, when it, it hits a point where, or a turning point where suddenly all of the fruits and all of the things come back at, at the same time, at that time, in a sense, now, now that we're a little bit further along the conversation, at that time when you have seven different opportunities, when, you, when you've invested your, 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 your network, your time, your energy in seeing all of these things kind of grow, how do you pick? Like, like what, what was your, your like, like, do you have a metric secret algorithm? Do you, do you just take a dartboard and just like, like throw, like, like line up the opportunities and see where it lands? Or like, like how do you pick? Um. If there are multiple opportunities that I'm I've, I've been interested in in the past, historically, the way it would work is I would keep I would keep doors open for as long as I reasonably could. So if, if there are multiple things, if I could keep them sort of open while I was figuring things out and set, getting a sense, and really you're, what you're trying to do is you're trying to build up um, data for yourself, and that data informs your gut instinct, and eventually. At the end of the day, we, we like to think that we make very rational decisions. Most of our decisions, including the big ones, are made emotionally. And what you kind of have to do is you have to give yourself the space and the time and the information to feed that emotional gut instinct with the most useful information that it has. That's why if you're trying to make a decision between two things, Pick one and see how you how you react to it emotionally. Like roll a roll a dice, and if you go oh, then you know that you didn't want that one. You wanted the other one, um, you know. But but you've got to kind of feed yourself the information and give yourself the time to dwell on it and to let your subconscious process it and think about it. Um, and it's not always straightforward. It's not always straightforward, and things can evolve massively, and and you can and be open to having your mind changed. But it, you know it's 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 more of an art than a science i would say and, it, and you're not always going to get it right but we don't get to explore the other path mm, back, back to our, our superpowers that yeah exactly inspiring to get in a sense but but i can but, definitely see the yeah. psychology student in you in in, in in kind of how you how you've laid that down in a sense and i i, I wholeheartedly agree I, I think that sometimes it's just about like, like we have a physical digestion process. I feel we have an emotional and an intellectual digestion process as well, where you, you get all the information and then you've just got to not sit on it, but you've got to just let the decision come to you in a sense. And, 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 and to a certain extent, that's what's, that's what experience and expertise are. That's what, <laughs> old, that's what older generations have over us. The reason that they can often, you know, they are, they are experts in things 
is because they've built up enough data over time that they have shortcuts and they can make a very clear decision on an issue with a limited amount of information and data precisely because they've sort of seen something kind of like it before and their gut goes an AI in a sense like like yes yes you said the stuff to a certain extent are we you know you feed the algorithm the algorithm makes better kind of decisions based on the experiences and the information yeah 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 crudely yeah and and that's that's why you know it's that whole thing around 10,000 hours and you know the the stuff around how you 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 learn and develop yourself and that's the also the reason why there as you alluded to earlier where there are certain things where if you you know you're building a consultancy about how to reach gen z who's the experts on that probably the ones who've been in it for the longest i.e gen z um and similarly there are whole industries like social media marketing and things like that that have emerged where they're headed up by very young people why because the young people are hold they've spent more time on the damn things than than older generations and that's not a that's not a bad thing or it's just it's just that young people had free time which was invested in learning what worked well and what didn't on social media mm-hmm. whilst the older generations were busy working and so they haven't had the time to do this stuff and it's why you know there's a great book called outliers by malcolm gladwell um where he sort of looks at you know there's some really crazy things where I, i'm going to get this wrong but like there's a number of like the big tech founders like bill gates steve jobs steve wozniak and a number of the other sort of magnates at the top of billion dollar companies and he's like would you you know what would you say if i told you that they were all born within six months of one another and it's it's this whole thing of the trajectory that people are on and and why Well, because they were at the perfect age where they were 21 years old when the first personal computer came out, mm-hmm. 21 years old, which means that they were old enough to be taken somewhat seriously. They weren't 12-year-olds trying to set up a tech company. <laughs> But equally, they were young enough. That they weren't already working at IBM or something in computer programming, sneering on this Well, why would I spend my time on this weak little personal computer when I I'm a, I'm an IBM employee and I work with this massive room warehouse sized computer that is so much more powerful. I'm going to no no, I'm not going to waste my time with this personal computer nonsense. And so, you know, they they were at the perfect moment and is that their do they get credit for that? No. They would someone was going to do it. Hard work is a prerequisite. You have to do the hard work otherwise it doesn't happen. but there are so many instances that he shares in the book where it's like there's lots of people who do all of the prerequisites they put in the effort they work hard they're really talented they're really you know and they don't achieve those things and the the thing that really sank home with me for outliers is that we have to stop placing individuals on pedestals when we look at people like bill gates steve jobs you know yeah sure they're cool people they're great and they they've done some great things but there are a lot of people who have just as talented just as good who don't get there and so much of it is actually about the environment around them the people around them and what we need to do as a society is to create the environments that nourish and nurture these opportunities for people and for communities that can create these things like microsoft emerging and things like that but recognizing that it's not you know the credit doesn't go to one person it's the culture that we've built it's the the structures that we've built that enabled that um and there's loads of really great examples of you know the fact that sports in sports like ice hockey players something like nearly half of ice hockey players are born between january and march and only 10% are born between october and december that one i don't know is it because of the time where you're most likely to play like ice hockey is during the winter like i don't know why why so it's to do with seasons so in uh, in ice hockey the season starts in january so if you want to join the under 16s team then if you're born in january <laughs> you are an entire you might be a whole year older nearly than someone who's born in december because mm-hmm. they were 15 
the previous year, so they couldn't join the under-16s team. So that you've had a whole additional 11 months to physically mature. And so where we're getting sports stars now being picked out at an earlier and earlier stage, you end up in this situation where if people are getting scouted at like the age of five, six, seven, if you are 11 months older than some of your peers, you are more physically and biologically developed than them. You have yeah. more coordination. You're physically stronger. You're more coordinated. You, 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 you of course you're better. <laughs> you've had more, you've had another 11 months to practice. And, and that's at that stage of life that, that those timeframes matter hugely. And so it creates this skew whereby those, those kids who are born between January and March might be told, Oh, you're really good at ice hockey. You're really good at it. You know, you're talented. Oh, we're going to get you more training. We're going to get you more support because you're talented. And the kids who might be younger, and the reason they're not as good isn't because they're not actually as talented. It's just they haven't had as much chance to practice and they're not as physically big, matured, or coordinated. And so they get told they're not good. And all both those things become reinforcing cycles whereby you're told you're good at it, so you do more of it, you do more of it, you do. And then you get special extra training and special extra support and coaching. And you end up building up um, those people and they'll look back on it a bit. Oh, well, I was always meant to be a hockey player. You, know, you might not have actually been that good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like if you gave the other kids an extra six months, I'm sure, they, I'm sure they'd catch up in a way. Yeah. But I think I, one of the things that I really like about this whole conversation is the deconstruction of the concept of luck and the concept of, of, of kind of the, the, the serendipitous nature. Like, yes, some things are left to chance, but most things, like as you said, they're 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 time based, or, or, or they're kind of you making your own opportunities if you don't have those advantages. As we kind of wind down, in a sense, if you could, in 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 kind of our theme of, of of being able to go back in time and see different decisions and how they unfold, if you could go back in time and you could tell yourself when you were growing up, in a sense, one thing that you think would change your life, what would that one piece of advice be? As we kind of wrap up. Um, invest in relationships. Okay, now you've got to elaborate. Why? <laughs> um, I think relationships, you know, professionally and otherwise, right? Like when we when we leave university and you, you first start your jobs and your career, you, you get told invest in your pension, invest in your pension. The miracle of compound interest means that the earlier you start investing your pension, the miracle of compound interest means that it grows so much more. It's so much easier to grow it if you have a longer period of time to grow it over. And I would argue that exactly the same is true of relationships and not just in like a crude financial sense of there'll be, you know, business opportunities or whatever, but actually in, in the emotional benefits in the, you know, the friendships that you'll form and, and, you know, the, the wider societal sort of things that you'll get from it. And the earlier you start investing in connecting meaningfully with other people and seeking to add value and to be a good friend and to be a good family member and to be a good colleague, be a good peer and, and connect with people and help people and just, you know, form meaningful relationships that will last. The earlier you start doing that, there is a compounding effect on that where those people introduce you to other people, you connect with other people, they become stronger and stronger relationships, especially like a university right now. You have no idea where some of your peers will go. I can tell Harsh is going places already, but there'll be others as well where there'll be people who right now, they, there'll be some like Harsh who are very switched on doing really interesting things and stuff. And, you know, that, that's a sure bet, but there, there'll also be people who, actually aren't that driven right now but could go on to do just about anything you have no idea and so you know invest in invest in relationships form you know meaningful bonds with people seek to add value seek to help others and it you know it will always pay dividends whatever frame of reference you want to use for that whether it be karma or <laughs> just luck or you know whatever it is it's it it does come back very well said and i think you've ended it on a, on a very brilliant note as well thank you so much for being on the show this has been a very fun conversation and i think i learned a lot and i enjoyed talking to you and 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 uncovering this this myth called luck and serendipity through your experiences and i just hope you had half the fun that i had speaking to us and the audience as well 
Awesome. All right. So with that, thank you once again for joining us as our speaker. To our audience, thank you guys for watching and for tuning in for today's episode. If you guys like today's episode, make sure you come back again every Thursday at 10 p.m. ET. And don't forget to like, subscribe, let us know, share this episode with your friends so that we can continue growing and helping more people figure out how they can change their reality. And with that, this is us signing off for today. Bye. Thanks. You're listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio.